This is the Chi Chat Podcast with, with Chiquita Searle. Get excited. It's your favorite dating segment, the Unhinged on Hinge. So again, I am not sure if this is a trademark violation, but we shall continue undeterred until we are either sponsored or sued, ideally the former. So today's guest, psychosexologist, scientist and sex and relationship expert, Chantelle Otten. Welcome, Chantelle, and thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I've been looking forward to this chat all week, and I think we're all about to get an education, and I am quite excited about it. So I always like to ask my unhinged on hinge guests what their story is in terms of moving into their line of work. So sexology mm. is such a fascinating area, but still slightly taboo, particularly here in Australia. So first and foremost, what is sexology? Well, I'm a psychosexologist, which means that I am a specialist in the biggest sexual organ, which is the brain. So I come from a psychology background. Um, I then went and studied science medicine, specializing in sexual medicine and really gained skills mainly through doing uh, work overseas. So I used to live in Amsterdam and I learned what a sexologist was and how to be one. And basically a sexologist is someone who studies the science of sex. So I see individuals and couples and I talk about why they are having sexual questions, sexual concerns, or how to spice up their sex life a little bit. Um, and I guess the, the way that I got into it was I, I studied psych and I really um, loved it. I really love working with people and and figuring out, you know, how to help them reach their goals and feel well and good. But I realized that there was a lack of conversation around topics like sexuality. And, you know, I was young, a lot younger than I am now. Um, I was around 22 and I kind of just thought, you know, I'm way too goal orientated. I really need to work on changing not just my um, patients' lives, but the the kind of landscape of many people in Australia around discussing this topic. And my mom um, said to me one day, you need to watch this TED Talk by Esther Perel, who's a famous psychotherapist. The TED Talk was on infidelity, which, um, you know, again, is another taboo topic. And she said, you know, I think that you would be amazing amazing at speaking about sexuality, about speaking about things that are a little bit, you know, off kilter. And uh, I agreed with her. And um, so I went around Melbourne and I realized that there was a real lack of conversation in this area. And um, it, it definitely needed to be refreshed and framed in much more of a sexy way. Sex needed to become sexy again. Um, so I, I just went on my journey doing um, as much study as I could and, you know, working for free for years and um, I moved back to Australia from Amsterdam when I was 26 and started my practice here. Um, and now I have a team of 20 people who work for me, um, sexologists and pelvic health physios. And um, I work with some amazing big brands and one of them being Love Honey, which is uh, the biggest sex toy retailer in Australia and across the world. And they have just been amazing and help, um, I guess, continue on that topic of making sex sexy again so okay so there's a lot to unpack there yeah (laughs) so in terms of so did you study in australia and then because i know that you've done some study in amsterdam Mm -hmm. you've uh, you've traveled a lot and you've done a lot of study in the different countries so Mm -hmm. where did the bulk 
of your study take place? Was that in Australia? Yeah, so I did my psych degree in Australia and I did my science in medicine degree in Australia, but I also did sexology in Amsterdam and I also studied in Budapest as well. So having that experience in Budapest and Amsterdam and then coming back to Australia, I mean, mm-hmm. what are the, the glaring differences in terms of the way that uh, the different countries, I guess, talk about sex and explore it mm. naturally? Because I know in my household growing up, I don't know, was it, a, was it a topic that was openly discussed within your household growing up? Do you think mm. that was part of why you, what drew you to it? Yeah, we have a very sex positive household. So my parents are Dutch and they always were um, very, um, I guess, open to the fact that sex is an important part of your individual lives and in relationships as well. And it's really left me with a, a positive view of sexuality, whereas I know that um, a lot of people did not get that education. I can attest that I did not. I mean, mm. in our household growing up, it was just not a topic that was, we could discuss. So sex, boys, dating was all off the cards. And I think my parents yeah. had one goal, and that was to get myself and my sister through high school without either of us getting pregnant. Wow. Goal achieved. <laughs> well <laughs> Good done, for you. <laughs> so, however, but once we left home and we became adults, mum became quite vocal. Mm. Uh, so I won't go into the stories. That's a topic for another day, Chantel. Yeah. Um, but I don't think my experience in um in that scenario growing up where your parents don't want to talk about it or don't know how to talk about it i don't think that's unusual so in terms Mm. of the clientele that you work with do you find that that is quite a common uh situation yeah yeah absolutely and i think it also just comes down to the fact that sex is not something that is portrayed you know overly positively in the media and i think that the lack of sex positive education in Australia is another factor and the fact that we don't talk about female pleasure we don't talk about you know the the variety of genders of sexualities you know the I guess the spectrum that we are on is is something that we're we're starting to discuss more and more now but we're really really late you know and I think that there's still a lot more work to do so I I really do think that um having that positive taste around sexuality has absolutely led me to have a really successful career and and not be ashamed of of what I'm doing to change the world. So when you first decided to work in this field in Australia, what was the initial response like? Because I remember when we had our brief chat a couple of weeks ago, you said that um, breaking into the field was actually quite hard. You'd come from Amsterdam, you were here, um, and you struggled to get some traction. So can you tell us a little bit around your experience and what the initial response was like from the Australian Medical Fraternity? Yeah, so, you know, when when I think about sex, I really think that it's important that we incorporate sexual health into the healthcare system in Australia, and that's something that was not being done. Um, I'm very lucky that that's happening a lot more now, but there's still a lot more work to do. But when I came back, you know, I was 26, I had platinum blonde hair, I was like 55 kilos, and I was like, hi. You know, I think about, like, looking at some of my patients that are 26 and even my siblings, I'm like, oh, my God, like, how did anyone, like, take me seriously, even though I'd been studying for years and years and, you know, I was obviously doing very well. I'd won um, awards for female sexual medicine and I was, you know, pumping my own career. I really found that it was challenging for people who were in the medical industry to look at me and take it seriously because, they never had education around sexuality and they didn't know what, you know, what I was doing in my consulting rooms. And I think a lot of them had the wrong idea.
year. Um, so I think that the, there was a lot <laughs> of work that I had to do. What do you think they were thinking was going on? Uh, I think they thought it was a bit more of a hands-on approach, whereas, you know, I don't touch my patients. And it's really about making sure that they are getting the right support and education and, you know, have a safe space to discuss their private lives. But that really was something that wasn't well known within the industry. And it, it's still getting there, you know. I think it, I think that... Um, I'm proud of the fact that it's being embraced a lot more now. So, do you think then the resistance initially was just because do you do you fact it was it your age or was it because they just didn't have a solid understanding? They didn't understand mm. um, uh, the position you were coming from, or was it they just they they it was a bit too taboo for them and they liked things a little bit mm. more science based? What what was it? Do you think that was driving the resistance? It's not that it wasn't science based. I mean, I'm a successful you know published scientist, so it, well, that wasn't it. It was probably. Um, the way I looked, my age, the fact that it was not normalized in Australia, the fact that I was really starting this movement of trying to make it much more approachable and, you know, even trendy in a way to be able to access, you know, information and help around sexuality. So I don't think it was necessarily the the fault of the, the medical system or the doctors that I was interacting with. In fact, you know, a lot of people gave me real big chances that no one, you know, had been giving before. So I really am so thankful for anyone who took a chance on me. Um, I think that it is just the fact that we have a multicultural society and with that comes um, um, a lack of um, commitment towards uh, discussing sexuality openly and, you know, no one really knew what the right type of sex education was at the time and we're, we're still getting there. I mean, it's only a few weeks ago that sex positive and consent uh, curriculum was introduced into schools and that's with the current landscape of what's going on in the media and parliament right now. This is Chi Chat with, with Jaquita Searle. We are here in studio with sexologist or psychosexologist, Love Honey Ambassador and sex and relationship expert, Chantel Otten. So Chantel, thank you again so much for being here. So why do you think, I mean, you've traveled, we, we mentioned in the earlier segment just before the break, how you've studied overseas, you have lived in different countries, you've grown up in a, your parents are Dutch. So you've been exposed to different cultures in terms of sex. Mm. So why do you think people struggle to speak so openly about sex here in Australia? Yeah, I guess that comes back to what I was speaking about before. The fact that we are, you know, we are blessed as a multicultural society. I think it's really beautiful that we have so many different people coming to Australia and you know, I, I really do think that with that also comes education from the different cultures as well and, you know, different religions and different boundaries and I do think that in Australia we just haven't put up that structure of what sex positive education is about. In fact, we were just based around fear-based um, sex education. So how to not get pregnant, how to not get an STI, rather than t- how to have pleasure, how to find a clitoris, how to name your anatomy. You know, like, I think there are so many things that are blocked off and I think that there's so much more to explore that we're just not used to. And I th- also believe that we have looked, because we have a lack of sex education, we have looked towards media and 
and pornography to find the right ways to have sex. But uh, these outlets are for, you know, for entertainment and not for education. So that just leaves us in a little bit of a limbo. What is right? Well, on that topic of porn, so porn seems to be one of our few reference points in terms of education around um, sex and Mm -hmm. how, you know, potentially sex should be performed. So what are your thoughts on that? And then other places that people could learn about healthy sexual expression and experiences? Where do do I think that... Other than porn. Other than porn, you know, I think that people like myself, sexologists are the best way to go. And, you know, there are a a lot of great sexologists in Australia. I think that there's also um, a lot of sex educators coming up now and they are introducing um, good sex ed in school. There's a lot of amazing books out there and podcasts to listen to. So it really is about going out independently and trying your best to find uh, an educator that suits you and your particular style and and background. So on the topic of sexual education in schools, how is that changing? Because when I cast my own mind back to the days of Mm. um, my own, uh, I think they used to call it life studies and Mm. um, the old condom on the banana. And um, I just can't actually even remember anything else other than, yeah, don't do it. So Mm. how is it changing these days in with your knowledge and experience? Because are you involved in that process? Or? I'm not, no. So this is really something I'm more in adult sex education and therapy, but I do know that they are bringing in consent education into schools, which is extremely important, especially because, you know, consent is something that we are seeing um, play out in the media a lot at the moment. And uh, I know that one of my staff members, she is a sex educator in schools, and she says that there are so many warning signs that you can see in, in young uh, children and young adults around, you know, what is okay and what is not okay. And, you know, the the movies that I used to watch when I was younger, you know, there was no chat around consent in those movies. In fact, it was more like, you know, how can the male get what they want from the female and a lot more around coercion and, you know, alcohol and, and things that were really not healthy outlets to have um, a safe sexual experience. And I do know that now they are starting to change that. I mean, thank God it's 2021. It's about time that we started learning what a healthy sex life is about. And I do think that we need to focus um on pleasure instead of around a goal and around, you know, penetration and orgasm and and all these things that we believe that we need to be having to have a positive and successful sexual experience. So in our chat a couple of weeks ago, you did mention that it takes a really long, and I didn't know this, but it can often take a really long time for a young woman with sexual problems or sexual pain Mm. or sexual um, expression or identity to achieve a diagnosis. And Mm. they're often told to, you know, take a hot bath or have a glass of wine or my favorite, relax. Mm. So why do you think that's the case um, that that young women who are having these sexual issues are taking so long to get a diagnosis? I think that we... um I think that we really undervalue the way that women feel and especially within the medical industry, you know, uh, the fact that a sexual health condition can take years and years to get diagnosed when often it's just about having a conversation and allowing the patient to have a safe space is ridiculous. And I think that that's because we we often can't see sexual concerns. They have to be discussed. And when you're going in to see a practitioner, you don't know how the practitioner feels about sexuality. Also, there's a one-hour lecture on sexual medicine in the medical degrees in Australia. So a lot of them actually don't have the skills to be 
able to discuss these topics and that's not their fault but it is their fault when they are you know saying you'll be fine don't worry about it you know especially a condition such as endometriosis which is one in ten women um, and that is very painful periods that is very painful sex sometimes these are things that are really chronic health conditions it takes on average nine and a half years to get a diagnosis for endo and I, I really think that that is ridiculous considering how common it is and that's just the fact that we are not focusing on women's health enough and we are gaslighting women in the medical industry um, patients in the medical uh, who are coming in to get specialist help and saying you'll be fine you know just have a hot bath have a have a have a chill pill you know have a glass of red wine and you'll be able to sit through it and that's just not acceptable i think we need to validate our patients feelings absolutely and you, you so you're putting it down to just the lack of education in the in the doctors in terms because we go to gps don't we that's mm. the process mm. oh look no there's lots of specialists that can discuss sexuality it's it's not just lack of education it's also um lack of wanting to learn more sometimes and nine and, and a half years though for a diagnosis on endo i mean mm. i had a housemate once and she had endometriosis she had to have an operation yeah um and her it was so debilitating so every yeah. single month she would probably I think she'd have at least two days off work and she'd be in her room with a hot water bottle in yeah on her back she couldn't move she didn't eat her Mm. windows would be drawn and she was just in a lot of pain and I think um, I've never experienced it myself Um, yeah I'm very fortunate but yeah she was in incredible pain and she had to ultimately have an operation to help alleviate it yeah I she couldn't have sex without pain and yeah i think that it is ridiculous that that has been going on for so long and it, it look it is but she put up with that for years on. years and years and years before um she sought help yeah well, well, well she I'm put assuming- it down to um period pain and cramps and just i think accepted that as part of parcel of being a woman and a part and parcel of having a period well i'm assuming she probably would have um spoken about it with a medical professional or two along those years and they would have been like you'll be fine you know taking urofen and um and manage but periods should not be painful actually so at all no they really shouldn't be painful so if they if you are coming up with anything more than mild cramps that's something that needs to be dealt with from a specialist perspective so what are some of the common themes you've noticed in clients in starting a practice Mm, um Oh, look, I think that the word shame probably comes to mind. I think shame overclouds anyone who's coming in to, to seek help because, you know, it's it's still a topic that needs more um, in-depth discussion. And I think we need to normalize the fact that having issues in the bedroom um, are pretty normal. You know, I think everyone along their uh, lifespan will have a question or two or will have some difficulties within their relationship with themselves or with others. So... If I'd like to talk about the female orgasm. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, great. So I read the Love Honey Sexual Satisfaction Survey. Yeah. The Sexual Happiness Survey, I should say. So it says that 9 out of 10 men say that they orgasm during sex, but mm. only 7 out of 10 women do, which mm. I thought seemed high to me because I, f- I felt – I thought that less women would orgasm, and I'm assuming this is through penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. Um, So why do you think women struggle to orgasm during sex? Well, you know what? I don't think we can assume that's during penetrative sex. I think we have to assume that, you know, sex is still an umbrella term. We don't know what people are coming in thinking that sex is. So, again, that comes down to specifics. Studies like this are really positive for us to be able to explore more. And at the end of the day, you know, women are having 
less orgasms than men because we've not been taught that pleasure is for us. And I think that we need to um, realize that knowing where our pleasure spots are are really important and incorporating things that are going to be able to bring us pleasure are really important. So, you know, the development of the clitoral vibrator, you know, um, of so many toys that can help women achieve orgasm are really important. But uh, look, you know, I, I think in, in many ways you are right. Um, I think if we focus on orgasm during sex, then we can run into problems. And especially the fact that we've been taught in media that orgasm is about penetrative orgasms rather than clitoral orgasms. 70% of women can't have an orgasm through penetration alone. And that's just because the clitoris is nowhere near the vagina. And only some people who have really great anatomy are able to have penetrative orgasms. So it is about touching yourself during sex or getting your partner to touch you or using a on your clitoris during sex to be able to achieve that climax. So what would your advice be to a woman who might be stroke? Because you do, there is a lot of pressure on mm. um, the orgasm as the outcome of sex. We're taught that sex isn't complete or, um, or successful unless both parties have, have achieved an orgasm. Mm. So how do you navigate that and remove that as the focus and instead... F- pursue the pleasure element of it because sex can be pleasure purely pleasurable for both parties without either achieving an orgasm but Mm. we're conditioned to think that without achieving the orgasm for both parties it's not successful so how how do we reprogram our minds or reframe that to so that we focus on the pleasure oh i think that's you know the first step you just realize that sex is an umbrella term and you don't need to have penetration or orgasm for it to be successful i think the next thing is actually realizing what you like to do in the bedroom rather than what you think you're meant to do um and i i do believe that that comes down to a lot more self-awareness and it comes down to practice and self-exploration and masturbation and you know actually vocalizing and trying and testing and practicing what could do you know, the right thing to to get you going and get you fired up. Um, I do think it also comes down to communication at the end of the day and being with a partner that is there to focus on you having a pleasurable time. You know, you want to make sure you're with someone who is kind, who is fun, who is empathetic, who is not going to dictate the way that you need to behave in the bedroom, but is there to actually make sure that you have a really great time. So on that topic of finding your voice and communication, Mm. because I think that is something that people people can struggle with because it's not something that we learn specifically anywhere is it and often communicating what your desires are in the bedroom is it's a very vulnerable position to be in Mm. so how do you how do you I guess coach people through finding their voice because I I would assume that um, and I'm just going to (laughs) assume that you've had clients who struggled with their voice in the bedroom and being able to communicate what they need or want from their partner Mm. so how do you how, how what tips or advice can you give someone who might be struggling with with finding that voice particularly if if one of their desires is a little bit taboo Mm. oh i think that um you know first of all being the partner that you want your partner to be is the first place to start so being really empathetic if you want your partner to be open to having these discussions with you you need to practice on how you're going to open up to them and you know what sometimes talking and you know verbal kind of conversations can be really challenging so actually writing it down or having a little exercise between the two of you going you know what why don't we write down a list of things that 
are really yummy for us to do and things that are really, you know, in the yucky pile for us to do at the moment and things that are kind of maybe, you know, we could try. So I, I always like to, to think about it like um, stop signs. You have the green light. We would love to do this. The red light. This is a hard no for me right now. And then the yellow light, which is like a maybe we could do it if we work out well. And then you compare lists with each other. And if there are things that are kind of on your red light list that are on their green light list, why don't you discuss why they're there and what they mean to the other person? Um, I think that it all comes down to meaning at the end of the day, because just because you don't like it doesn't mean that the other person you know doesn't either what what is your yuck might be someone else's yum that's the way i'm saying it that's a good thing so yuck Mm. and yum Mm. let's identify them Mm. so in what are some of the the biggest issues that couples experience in their sex lives when Mm. they come to you oh look everything (laughs) like everyone (laughs) will have a sexual problem at some point myself included um i think a lot of it comes down to life stages as well it's you know how are you feeling within your body how empowered do you feel do you um like getting naked do you feel comfortable getting naked how are your libidos going how is your work-life balance is there sexual pain is there um things like erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation you know are there things going on that are just blocking you from having intimate time you know is it about prioritization or health or energy there are so many things that can lead back to you having a bit of a challenging time in the bedroom there's there's really nothing that is kind of off limits there this is the chi chat podcast so we are in studio today with Chantelle Otten. She is Australia's leading sexologist, sex and relationship expert and love honey ambassador. So Chantelle, thank you again for being here. So I wanted to um, ask what areas of sexology you're most passionate about and why? Mm. Oh, look, I love all areas of sexology but I really love working in women's health um, and I also love working with trauma and in disability I think that these are areas that are you know less focused on and and deserve to have a lot more attention Um, and I do know that people who are um, kind of struggling with these backgrounds uh, don't know where to reach out and who to talk to about these topics so that's something that I've been really focusing on for especially the probably the past 18 months to 24 months. And I'm really enjoying it because it's super complex. Um, and I, I think that it's also giving uh, a little bit more air to topics that need to be further discussed within the media. So you feel like the media isn't paying enough attention to these particular areas in terms of sexual awareness for these communities? I think in general they're not, they, they haven't in the past paid enough awareness to sexuality, but I do see that these topics are popping up a lot more and I'm really grateful for that. And so you're a Love Honey ambassador that we've mentioned. Mm. Um, so for the uninitiated, Love Honey is a leading sexual wellness brand and they mainly retail sex toys, is that correct? Yeah, look, they are there. They're the sexual wellness company and they are there to bring a lot of happiness and fun into your bedroom so that sex toys that sexy outfits they stock um, size 8 up to 24 in terms of lingerie so they're really inclusive and they are just leading the field in in I guess starting that conversation about how to open up your sex life a lot more and have it a lot more inclusive and accessible and fun so what I'm going to assume that you are pro toys in the bedroom Mm. So, do you have a favourite Love Honey toy that you could recommend oh to my our God. listeners? Well, I've got I might everything. take some notes. 
<laughs> I'm the target market. I've got over 300 at home. Toys. So I feel like I just, you do know. Do you rotate them? Well, I have to try them all out. Well, that's you know? true. Do you give feedback? Do you get access to them before they go to market? Yeah, sometimes. You know, I'm really lucky that Love Honey is super generous in, in sending um, toys to me and also supporting my clinic as well. So um, at the moment, I think for anyone who has a vulva and a clitoris, I think a clit sucker is a really great idea. So something like a womanizer. Um, I'm also loving the classic rabbit at the moment. So for anyone who watched Sex in the City. I was just about to say. So yeah. <laughs> every time I think rabbit, I think that of that Sex in the City ex- episode. Oh, my God. Amazing. Charlotte. I know. I was pretty much like, what is she talking about? For years, I was like anti-rabbit. And then they sent me the new one, um, which is part of the Fifty Shades of Grey range. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. It's so incredible. I've actually heard um, people advise that for women struggling to orgasm during sex to stop using toys. So what do you why do you think they they they're they're advising that. I think that um, I think that it's important to advise. I guess branching out, like that's the way that we should be moving forward. Because I think the problem that we have is that we get stuck in a little bit of a um, box when it comes to sex, and people start, you know, playing with the same sexual script. So every time they get into the bedroom, they're doing the same thing. It's the same menu, and they forget that, you know, like you know, eating out, you want to have different spices and cuisines and entrees and mains and desserts. And I think that that's the same thing that needs to happen in the bedroom. Um, we need to, you know, spice it up by adding a few different things that are going to bring a different landscape and narrative. And so do you have any favorite client stories of, because I can imagine that um, this is such a uh, an intimate topic and some people really struggle to talk about it. So mm-hmm. coming to you, obviously, they're trusting you with some of their most intimate thoughts, some mm-hmm. of their biggest fears, their biggest vulnerabilities. And I'm, you know, in your role and with your clinician, you could have such a profoundly positive impact Mm. on quite a lot of people's lives, not just in their sex lives, but in general. Um, So do you have any kind of favorite client stories that you um, are really proud of in terms of helping someone overcome something that was quite debilitating for them and it's just flowed into every other element of their life? Mm, Yeah, of course I do. I can't really share them because that's confidential. But, you know, every day I'm proud of my patients and, and how they have achieved things. And I think you know, at the end of the day, it's it's really about um, just realizing how far people have come and how you've played a part in that process. You know, people that were not able to even talk about sex or not able to have sex at all who are coming out having really happy and healthy sex lives. And that's absolutely fine. So I want to talk briefly about slut shaming because mm. I think that that still happens, mm. sadly. I mean, from what's happening in Canberra in terms of shaming victims of sexual assault into silence to publicly shaming women who are open about their sex and enjoying it. Um, for example, Abby Chatfield on the Matt Agnew season of The Bachelor was very publicly slut shamed. So why do you think this issue is so prevalent in today's society? Oh, I just think that we come from, you know, we're growing up in a misogynistic patriarchal society and, you know, every time that gets challenged, you just get beat down on. So I think that, you know, we're pretty lucky that we have social media these days and as women, we really have to band together and as people in the LGBTQI plus community, all these um, groups that have been marginalised, I think it's 2020 and and moving forward are the years to really challenge these stereotypes and really look at having a more diverse 
prosperous and and uh, positive future, and that incorporates sexuality into that. So you know, we are it's a man's world, and I think that we need to change that a little bit more and and make it a lot more equal and and positive and safe for for women. And so. I mean, I guess a part of that starts with education with with children, mm. um, and I suppose that starts with parents mm-hmm. as well. So, do you have any advice for, um, say, parents with young children, or even children who are in t- their teenage years and they're obviously starting to discover um, their own sexual expression and they're starting to explore different avenues? So, do you have any advice around navigating this kind of conversation for parents with children? Um, who that yeah they might be struggling to articulate some of this mm, I do think that um, it's really about seeking help if you don't know how to have that conversation then it it is about just making sure that you talk to people that are sex positive and that can help you open up the conversation within your household if you're not so confident in uh, in working on it then you can invite someone in to educate your family a little bit further and help you out I think it's about reading books it's about listening to podcasts and you know making sure that you're not just sitting there idly but actually um, exploring the topic a lot more so tell us a little bit more about your practice and what you do there because how long have you had it for now? It's been um, a few years. About three and a half years. Three and a half. So almost four. So you started as you just yourself? Yeah. I just so tell us about that and what, what, how hard was it to build it coming in from Amsterdam? And mm, I think it was about really hustling the part, like the first few years, like your work working from 6am to like you know 11pm at night and you're trying your best to make sure that you're lifting this business off the ground so you can have some sort of income and with that comes challenges so many challenges you know and um, it it was good in the way that it became more um, I became more popular so I, I hired my first staff member at like six months and then you know I think it was only even like 18 months ago or so that I, I probably had like four staff members. So you've had and some then really significant growth yeah, in the last sort of 18 months. Yeah, COVID changed a lot of things, I think, for people at home kind of realizing that this is a topic that they needed to work on. But also, I guess my profile has grown a lot more in the past 18 months, two years, and and people are realizing that there is a space to be able to go in and talk about sexuality and, and have a lot of fun. Um, and I guess partnering with with bigger brands and partnering with Love Honey as well, you know, you just open up the scope of what you can discuss. um, And I guess people are realizing that you don't have to have a huge problem to come in and and talk about sex. In fact, a lot of people that come in are are just doing it to have a little bit more fun and spice and also as preventative measures to make sure that they don't get in a sex rut as well. Oh, the old sex rut. Mm. Um, So tell us about, okay, so so how long till you got offices? So you were doing it all the heavy lifting yourself for for six months. Then you hired a staff member, mm-hmm. and then did you get offices at any point? Did how did you get start to get the word out? Was it just with partnering with, with you, GPs, or when you started the business? When you mean an office, as in like where I sit and talk to people? Yes, I yeah. Guess so at the start, I had to do that when I was by myself. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you have nowhere to talk. Yeah, I mean, don't sit in the park. Point yeah, <laughs> just come to this meeting spot yeah, publicly yeah. and share yeah. your most innermost thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. I, you know, I started off in kind of hired rooms, like rental rooms, and then I um, 
went and worked from a medical clinic and I had a room there full time and we were kind of on rotation in that room and it was great and um, now I have a, a bigger practice which is in Collingwood in Melbourne and um, you know I have expanded the team so we have um, pelvic health physios which are an amazing addition because if you have you know sexual pain as a woman you really need to assess your pelvic floor and see how that's going how tight it is and um, it's the same with you know how, after giving birth as well you know there are definitely a lot of changes that go on down there so I really like to pride my practice on being multidisciplinary and that's just going to keep growing a lot more and um, you know it's really like a beautiful environment where all the staff are happy they work on their own schedules you know they see the patients that they're really interested in and I really am about creating a beautiful environment for both both practitioner and patient. So what happened then during COVID you put it that your your practice I guess bloomed basically Mm. during COVID and and that is because people were at home spending time together and realizing Mm. oh dear Mm. I may not actually like this person anymore or we actually haven't touched each other in three months so Mm. were these some of the issues coming up and what yeah I guess how were were you doing zoom um calls yeah because we couldn't actually see anyone Mm. and so so how was that so you put that down to people just being in their vicinity and they weren't being distracted by living separate lives and they were coming together and realizing that oh my gosh we we're struggling in this department well i don't think it's about living separate lives and coming together you know there are a lot of people who were together and had to live separate lives during covid it's really about the fact that they probably had more time and space to actually focus on it you know and yeah there was there was that element of people being in this intense environment where you're around your partner all the time and you know you're realizing the little things that you can kind of get away from when you go to work and and you know it's not like that they're necessarily bad things it's just that things that you need to work on get um, magnified during that time as well so um, I think it's a combination you know I do know that sex toy um, sales spiked in massively during COVID so that means that people were getting a little bit more kinkier and having a lot more fun um, I think it was just a time that people wanted to be a bit more creative and realize that you know if they get to work from home they have more flexibility to do appointments such as sexology ones and also um, more flexible with the bedtime yeah totally you can have sex during the day instead Yay! of at night time Yay. <laughs> Gives another um, meaning to the term working from home. Exactly. So tell us, so what's it been like? Because you're kind of burst onto the, the public profile scene. Yeah. So was it about 18 months ago where your public profile started to really skyrocket? Um, yeah. So I've, uh, you know, I've been doing media for three years or four years or so now. And um, definitely I think that two years ago um, I became more popular but I actually think that the conversation around sex has actually changed in the last 18 months which is why my career is um, yeah, getting a, a lot more inflated which uh, lucky me I'm so excited um, because it means that I can support more people but um, I do think that it's definitely around a lot of people actually opening up the conversation around sexuality not just myself I mean there's so many people that pioneered the way before me and there are so many people you know who are out there and doing amazing things in the world um you know and and that are talking about it on a public forum well yes i follow you on instagram Mm. and i have learned quite a lot chantelle let me tell you (laughs) um we have had a listener message in a question so i'm going to ask what is the right way to ask if a girl is dtf (laughs) 
I will let you oh. interpret that <laughs> so for anyone acronym. who's listening in, DTF is down to fuck. So if you want to know if someone is, you know, wanting to get down and dirty with you, I think the most polite thing to do is just ask how they feel towards you. You know, would you want to go back? How do you feel? Do you want to get intimate? Do you want to take this to the bedroom? Do you want to get closer? It is about asking for a consent and then, you know. I'm assuming this is a one night situation or a, um, a hookup. I'm we don't know interpreting I, I think I don't every know time. I'm assuming every time though I think you have to be asking you know in general because I think that is a problem in long term relationships that consent kind of goes down the drain when we start assuming so never assume I think it's just best to be polite and ask you know how do you feel do you want to get closer that kind of thing I think and also respect because mm. I've been on the apps for quite some time I'm currently not I'm taking a break but mm. just even um, I think there's a way to go about it and mm. definitely you know Ask them the way you'd like to be asked, respectfully. Mm. That would be my feedback, not that I'm an expert. Mm -hmm. Um, So how have you dealt with kind of a public profile? Has it been confronting for you or difficult to manage? No, not at all. It's been fine. You know, I think I'm pretty lucky that people are embracing me and and, um, embracing the topics that I come up with and the conversations that I'm having. I really haven't felt that it's been too negative at all. uh, and I, I, you know, I often have people who stop me and want to chat and just say thank you. And I think that that's testament to the fact that we're all, you know, getting a lot more sex positive and, and having fun. Well, thank you. We're at the end of our segment, the end of our hour. So thank you, Chantel, for being here today. I really, really thank appreciate you. I have been long intrigued by sexology. So this has been a real treat. Mm. So how can Alison connect with you or find out more about your clinic or mm. the work that you're doing or potentially work with you? Oh, so, um, you know, www.chantelotten.com, C-H-A-N-T-E-L-L-E-O-T-T-E-N.com. Um, or you can look up my Instagram, which is Chantel underscore Otten underscore sexology. I'm sure you'll be able to find it if you punch it into Google. (laughs) Yes, very easily. This is the Cheat Chat Podcast.